Hello everyone and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we try to answer once and for all, what is the best comic book adaptation? Yes, be it movie or TV show, we'll watch it and rank it until we have our definitive number one. Who's we? Well, I'm your host Andrew, and as per usual, I'm joined by my co-host Mick. Hand. Yes, Mick, that is your hand. Very good. (laughs) So apart from that, how are you doing today, Mick? Hand. But the problem is I'm not opposed to you doing the entire show, just keeping up this bit. (laughs) And... That brings us to the end of the briefing. <laughs> so now it's time for us to put on our toilet seat helmets and vomit up some polka dots as we behold the Suicide Squad. Nom, 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 nom. And then this is the bit where we like put in some kind of indie rock music. Yes. And some kind of flashy uh, transitional um, comic book panel editorial bit. To show what's going on. Yes. Which will, of course, be completely lost on the listeners with this being an audio-only medium. Well, yeah. Although, so, you know, as I've mentioned before, Ventriloquism Acts started on radio. So, you know. I think we should have a strong career in radio comics. Yes. There is a fight scene. It looks cool. It's a lot cheaper than doing it the way Hollywood do them. That's true. We could we could save them so much money. Yeah. And we could pretend we'd cast Nathan Fillion. Yeah, just just ensure people yes, Nathan Fillion's there. <laughs> and Margot Robbie, what are you doing on the podcast this week? <laughs> What do you mean? You can't speak for legal reasons. Oh, well, it is a shame. I'm sure the listeners will get out of a kick of knowing you're still definitely there, though. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, this is the 2021 film we're talking about today. Written and directed by James Gunn, based on the DC Comics. Anti-hero is probably the best way to describe them. Anti-hero team, I would say. Yeah, and it's important good... that we differentiate. This is the Suicide Squad as opposed to any other Suicide Squad that may exist in cinema. Yes, I think more than ever, me saying which film we're talking about is important for this one. Yes. Almost like there's two films with almost identical names except for the word of there. Yeah. Which, why Warner Brothers? What was wrong with Suicide Squad 2? Or Suicide Squad, colon, subtitle? Yeah, Suicide Squad, colon, this is a different one to the other film. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they didn't even call it Suicide Squad. I think that kind of contorted uh, franchising is copyright the Fast and Furious franchise You're right, they're the only ones who are allowed to have weird variations on their name for the sequel Yeah Anyway, as always we'll do a little bit of background 
mainly because first of all um i've got a little bit of kind of cleaning up to do because the suicide squad it's a bit of a complicated situation ironically enough a bit like how guardians of the galaxy was yes so uh you see the suicide squad as in a team that goes by that name was created by Robert Callagher and Ross Andrew in 1959. Wow. Again, much like the version we know, they were led by Vic Flagg, but that's where the similarities begin and end. Because this was, actually, like a lot of kind of comic book teams in the late 50s, early 60s, they were more just a group of ordinary people who went on a bunch of weird adventures to fight things like, you know, giant monsters, natural disasters, aliens, things like that. And that was just Tuesdays. Exactly. But yeah, it's very much like Challenges of the Unknown, Sea Devils, if anyone's familiar with it. So if, if anyone's familiar with these even more obscure comic book teams, basically it's the kind of thing that led to the Fantastic Four eventually. Okay. But yeah, the, the actual version of the Suicide Squad that we know, though, as in, you know, like, government agency run by Amanda Waller, kind of gets a bunch of super criminals, sends them out on shady and dangerous missions. Uh, that version was created by John Ostrander in, I believe, 1987. Okay. Oh, by the way, that reminds me, we've got some rules for the recording of this episode. So the listeners probably aren't aware of this, but the other week we met up and had a coffee and exchanged cash for PlayStations, yeah? We did indeed. Well, Hence why we have lost the, the popular segment, Andrew, do you have a PS5 yet? <laughs> yes. Um, spoiler alert, he does. Um, I do. So, on that visit to that um, hostelry to purchase... Um, some coffees i slipped a, a nano explosive into your coffee so during the recording of this episode if you disagree with me you will die if you fire me at any point you will die if you confound me with weird configurations of suicide squad from the comics you will die are we clear? <laughs> Succeed on this mission and you get to finish recording 10 minutes early. It's obviously, I understand the stakes, but I don't know. Some, some things are more important than life, Nick. <laughs> Proceed. Well, well, yeah, I will tentatively ask you then. How familiar are you with the with the Suicide Squad, Mick? Well, um, I kind of, as you know, the nineties was a bit of a fallow time for me, comic book wise, and that's the time when like Harley got introduced into the um, animated series. Um, but when I started getting back into comics. Uh, probably around the middle of the last decade um harley was a a big thing and as a run-on from reading some of the harley quinn comics 
I noticed that she was also in Suicide Squad, so I started reading that. And so that's kind of where I've come in. And then obviously there was the 2016 attempt at a live-action movie. Um, and take it from that. That's basically my exposure to the Suicide Squad. Um, the, the sort of mid-2015 sort of onwards type collection. Oh, okay, right. So, yeah, basically after the, the Flash tried to go back in time and then ended up rewriting all of history and then he had to team up with yeah. an alternate universe Batman. To, to, does anyone else hear that beeping sound? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Continue. But, yes, anyway, so I am a big fan of the, the Suicide Squad. The, um, I, I keep referring to it as the original run, even though I've just explained it technically isn't the original run. And God, there's that beeping sound again. <laughs> but yeah, the, the the version created by John Ostrander, that is basically like my favourite comic book. Uh-huh. Like, just because I do like the idea of, you know, instead of superheroes who, who can be a bit, you know, or no, they're just you know doing good because they're good guys. Yeah, I think it's kind of a parallel with the Thunderbolts, isn't it? Yes, I think the Thunderbolts, certainly in kind of later incarnations, has just become like more and more basically Marvel's version of the Suicide Squad. And yeah, it's just it's interesting, like seeing these people who, for all intents and purposes, are bad people, but kind of gradually get a bit more heroic maybe they're going to kind of make some friendships maybe they're just going to die horribly and that's cool as well <laughs> or is it but we'll come to that later Indeed. but yeah I think that's one of the interesting things about the Suicide Squad as well is that because it's like mostly very minor supervillains if they die they're probably not coming back Yeah, there's not, there's not going to be some kind of strange scientific experiment created to try and make sure that they reappear in a new form or different form or anything in the future. It's going to be, or any kind of sort of inheritance of a mantle or anything, it's going to be, you go. Yes, exactly. There's not going to be some kind of multiverse-spanning massive event to bring back a character called Mindboggler. Is that a real thing? Or is that, that just is a one real that you... thing. No, she is a character who was created by Joe Asker, appeared in the first issue of Suicide Squad, died, and then that was pretty much it. Mind-boggler. It's a shame. Would have made a perfect girlfriend for the thinker. Think... Hmm. Brains. <laughs> nom nom. Anyway, yeah, as you mentioned as well, Mick, this is a sequel to the, well, technically a sequel. Well, this is it. Is it? Is it a sequel? Is it a reboot? Is it a, is it a requel? Oh, we've invented a new thing. A requel. Yes, a requel. It's kind of sort of a reboot, but also it's like the original Suicide Squad didn't not happen, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, that film we'll probably get more into 
on another date because I, I assume we'll probably do an episode about it eventually. Must we? God, I think we must. Damn it. Maybe one day we'll do an episode on the air cut. We won't do an episode on the air cut because it's never going to happen. <laughs> so I suppose we ought to do the uh, the usual warnings. Indeed, because it is synopsis time, so that does mean full spoilers for the whole film. And if you haven't seen it yet, what have you been up to? It's been out for a week. Call yourself a fan. I know, I've literally already seen it twice, listeners. Also, to be fair, by the time like, the actual episode comes out, it'll be out for like a month. <laughs> it's also, again, you knew what you were getting into. Also, also, it may be longer than a month, because if you use this transcript that we're creating as any kind of guide to editing, it'll take you years. Oh, yeah. Listen, we do have... Basically, Mick found that Zoom does have a transcription app that you can use to transcribe the entirety of a, a meeting. It's not good. To be fair, it's better than most placement students have employed. Yeah, I mean, I guess what it's writing does technically fall within the English language. Yes. Which is odd, because most of what we say doesn't. Yeah. But do you think it's doing a better job than we are? <laughs> so, for example, listeners, that last sentence translated as, yeah, pretty fingers. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Which brings us back to hand. Okay, synopsis time. So, the film opens on new Suicide Squad recruit Savant, played by Michael Rucker who is being recruited as part of a mission to infiltrate the island nation of Corto Maltese, which has recently been taken over in a bloody coup. Task Force X Director Amanda Waller, Viola Davies, explains the terms of Savant's agreement. In return for taking part in the mission, he will have 10 years knocked off his sentence. However, deviate from orders, and Waller will activate a nanite bomb implanted into each team member's brain. Also, as a fun little aside, the, uh, the scientist guy who implants those brain bombs, played by John Ostrander. Really? Yeah, which is a, a very fun cameo. Yeah. So, Savant is then introduced to the rest of the team, along with returning characters Rick Flagg, Joel Kinnaman, Harley Quinn, Margot Robbie, and Captain Boomerang, Jai Courtney. We have new characters Blackguard, Pete Davidson, Weasel, Sean Gunn, TDK, Nathan Fillion, Javelin, Flula Borg, and Mongal, Mailing Ing. The team gear up and head out, ready for a beach assault on Corto Maltese. They touch down, and everyone except Rick and Harley is killed almost immediately. Waller then reveals that this team is simply a distraction while Team 2, the real main characters of the film, infiltrate the island. Uh, this team consisting of Bloodsport, Idris Elba, Peacemaker, John Cena, Ratcatcher 2, Daniela Melchior, Polka Dot Man, David Dasmalchian, and King Shark, played by Steve Aggie and voiced by Sylvester Stallone, 
have been tasked with destroying the ex-Nazi base Jotunheim and its secret experiment, Project Starfish. The team are able to heroically rescue Rick from having tea with the rebels, and then also heroically be there when Harley escapes from prison by herself, and, in a rare moment of actually doing their jobs, capture the thinker, Peter Capaldi, the head scientist for Jotunheim, and use him to get inside the base. Uh, while the squad set explosive charges, Thinker reveals that Project Starfish is actually Starro the Conqueror, an alien monster that can possibly mind control those around him. He also reveals that the US government was actually the one funding the experiments to weaponize Starro. Uh, Rick wants to reveal this information to the world, but Peacemaker kills him to prevent an international incident. He then also tries to kill Vatcatcher, who witnessed the whole thing, but is shot by Bloodsport. Uh, in the ensuing chaos, Starro breaks free and begins attacking Corto Maltese. Waller orders the Suicide Squad to return to base, but they break rank in order to save the island uh, with the help of Waller's assistants, who stop her from detonating the brain bombs. The squad are able to kill Starro, but Polka Dot Man is killed in the fight. Bloodspot then uses the evidence of America's involvement in Project Starfish to blackmail Waller into freeing the rest of the team. Uh, in the aftermath, the Rebels take control of Corto Maltese, and both Weasel and Peacemaker are revealed to have survived. And that's the film. Indeed. So, Mick, what did you think of Suicide Squad? I I think, if I'm going to be very, very kind, the best thing I can say about The Suicide Squad is that it is more coherent than Suicide Squad and therefore better. But it's still not great. Oh, see, that's awkward because I loved it. So, I mean, bye it, everyone. It, last episode. <laughs> it's it's great on a sort of comic book adventure. Lots of explosions, lots of fights, lots of comedy, and lots of. But for me, it doesn't. It's got exactly the same level of dissonance as the first one did. It's a sequence of set pieces that are very that's very badly joined together. See, I, I just fundamentally disagree with that. <laughs> I think some of the casting was designed because they didn't have enough faith in the story. So they they deliberately cast people in roles that have very little screen time to try and bring a a specific cult audience to Suicide Squad. We've got, um, you mentioned Savant there. That's to bring the Guardians audience in, along with Sean Gunn, who's playing Weasel. Um, You've got the Doctor Who audience coming to see Peter Capaldi be the thinker. You've got Harley's army of devoted fans coming in. Uh, Nathan Fillion. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much he got paid, but it must be quite a high hourly rate to be in there. 
And I would imagine there's quite a lot of people went to the cinema to see Nathan Fillion playing TDK and came out of the cinema going, huh. And I think I think where where it compares badly with uh, James Gunn's other comic book franchise based around a niche team-up of um, ne'er-do-wells acting as heroes, i.e. Guardians of the Galaxy, is there's just a distinct lack of chemistry between most of the characters. There's the odd one or two, but as an ensemble piece, it, for me, it doesn't work. The one bit of casting that is inspired, however, is Idris Elba as Bloodsport. Because if you're going to replace a character like Deadshot, where Will Smith essentially plays Will Smith, then no one plays Idris Elba quite like Idris Elba. Yeah, I mean, that, that is very much... Again, those actors play one specific type of character. They're, they're kind of yeah. like modern-day Harrison Fords, aren't they? Yeah, but I mean, even... Even with Harrison Ford, there's a, there's a marked difference between Han Solo, um, Deckard from Blade Runner, and uh, Han Solo. There are similarities for sure, but there are nuances that make them distinctly different characters. Whereas, you know, if I'd have just seen Idris Elba's bits from this in isolation, I'd have thought he'd just donned a new costume for a scene in The Dark Tower. See, I thought you were going to say Luther for a second. Then that would. I've be... never watched Luther, but I imagine it would be the same. <laughs> yeah, it's Idris Elba, Idris Elba in about and there's crimes he's got to solve. Right, and and but that show would be better if he could like turn his chest plate into a big assault rifle that also shoots grenades or something. I mean, how ridiculous is that gun? I mean, from the point of view of comic book action, that gun. Almost defines comic book action, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and that's that's actually something that I love. Just the idea of, yeah, Idris Elba, he's got a suit with like weird bits of metal that can snap together, and suddenly it's a big assault rifle. How does that work? Comics in it. Yeah. So it, I just I like that commitment to we live in a comic book world. Things are yeah. weird. No, so I'm that fussed about it. So so the. The other thing that I, I don't like about it is that there's all it's, it becomes almost a political agenda to distance itself from the previous Suicide Squad movie. So, with the exception of Harley, who they probably would have got lynched had they tried to remove her from having an active part in the in the main plot of the movie. Um, but any other link to that is taken off the playing field at the earliest opportunity. And I think that, you know... Again, I, I wouldn't agree, because, like, I would say that's the case with Captain Boomerang. Like, he's very clearly there just to get kind of cleared off fairly early. Yeah. But Rick Flag, I mean, I would say he's one of, like, the core cast. He, he is one of the core cast, and but he's he kidnapped quite early on. Well, yeah, but that's also, I would say, to give like the new characters a bit more room. To, yeah, know, I, I, get I to just... know them and do their thing before you reintroduce the uh, the older members again. 
Yeah, I, I just I just felt maybe there were too many new members. Almost. Because if you think back, there, there were a couple of people got killed in the original Suicide Squad member uh, movie. So if we just replace them with a couple of new ones, and then and then you're not using all up all your characters for any subsequent sequels, you know. I was surprised at how much I liked Polka Dot Man though. I thought that was going to be a a niche villain too far, but actually it worked it worked out quite well and explained him better than the comics did. Yeah. I just I'm slightly hung up on the idea that Brodicure complains I I can't believe they wasted Javelin. Well now, no, now, I, all no. those great javelin storylines we could have got in the future. No, no, I, I'm not saying that Javelin was particularly a great character, although I am looking forward to Weasel, a villain story. Um, the, for, for me, it... It, it brings together... It commits the same crime that um, the first one does, in that it introduces you to some characters, and before you even get to know what they can do, I mean, you can probably guess what Javelin can do from his name, but you don't really get to see him in action properly. A bit like uh, Slipknot in the in the first one. You don't really get to see what they can do until they get blown up. And... <laughs> It's almost like, what was the point of that then? I mean, granted, you need to understand that people can get blown up if they step out of line, but at least let them do something first. Yeah, and I again, mean, I thought... Say, these characters, they exist to get killed. Like, that's the point of that team of characters. I, I know. Is to kind of set the tone. But, but to be fair, you know, the Suicide Squad kind of tells you that. <laughs> yeah, but again, there's a difference between showing and telling. There is. Um and I I'm not a huge fan of over ostentatious scene transitions where bits of the scenery rearrange themselves to spell words. I think that's a very Well yes, if that is a specific thing you don't like, this is not the film for you. No, I, I think that's a very um mid noughties technique that was overused then and thankfully was in abeyance until James Gunn made this movie. I like it, I think it's fun. I think it gives the things a bit of visual panache. But other than that, it's a great film. Yes, you're right, Mick, it is a great film. I'm glad we came to agreement. <laughs> We've got seven minutes of transcription remaining for this meeting. Oh, no. Well... And if we don't finish before that runs out, you die. Sorry, did I not mention that in the earlier list? No, you didn't. I'm but using as your you time. Said, you know, we've, we've came to an agreement. It's a great film. It's our new number four. There we go. Nice and sorted. I think I'm missing bits of this podcast. It's okay, Mick. It's, it's just, you know, get to a certain kind of age, things start to slip out. It's But sad I had to the see. tablet. Or did I?
Have I expelled my dots today? Yeah, anyway. You, yeah, you go expel all your dots and I'll just sit here and do like a, a monologue about how I think John Cena was surprisingly really great in this. Oh, you see, again. I could see the potential of Peacemaker, but what I was hoping was that watching him in this, interacting with the rest of the squad and doing his stuff might um, get me excited for the forthcoming TV show. But it really hasn't. I found him to be a bit of a dick. And I know that's kind of the point of Peacemaker, but... Yeah, I mean, as you say, that's, that's kind of the point. He is a dick. But he was an irredeemable dick. If that that'd be a great superhero name, wouldn't it? What the irredeemable dick? <laughs> Maybe he's what Nightwing should rechristen himself. That's like Nightwing's evil alternate universe self. Yeah. He's the dick who has a goatee. <laughs> Anyway, I've had a rant about what I think about The Suicide Squad. I will say, I think Harley Quinn's storyline is fantastic because I think it, what it does do is it continues her character growth from the first one through Emancipation and into this. Quite yeah, nicely. I do love that idea of her, like, as soon as she realises her hunky new boyfriend is going to, like, wipe out women and children just like oh well better she didn't yeah and and sends him off in a way that only harley could as well that that eulogy she does is fantastic oh, yeah, the, the r.i.p to the beautiful monster between your legs yeah. <laughs> whilst berating his dying body for, for being a bad man <laughs> also i like the whole escape thing as well yeah like that, that is something that did seem to like keep from the first one as well, is that she's like, I guess acrobatic is the word. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's something we mentioned when we covered the Harley Quinn TV show, isn't it? That, you know, there was that nice little backstory of her winning gymnastics competitions as a kid, because quite a lot of Harley stories cover her sort of young adult life as a trainee psychologist and... Uh, intern at uh, Arkham Asylum but very few go back to her youth and uh, and cover the fact that she because there's no other than other than that brief mention there is absolutely no connection between being a psychiatrist who falls in love with the Joker and gets turned absolutely back back crazy and being able to backflip like a gooden that, yeah. That's not something that automatically comes just because you're driven insane by someone. Yeah, because that's a good, contrary to what I said earlier, that's one of those things where even as a well, it's comics in it. Yeah. Like that that just doesn't make sense as to why. No. So yeah, yeah, it was nice that that version and you can kind of probably just apply it to most versions of uh, explaining that, you know, 
that's why she can do these like crazy wall jumps and things. Yeah. I mean, that being said, if we tried jumping into vats of weird clown acid just to see if it does give us acrobatic skills. Well, yeah, because, you know, Jared Leto wasn't the only one who auditioned for Joker. He was just the one who survived. Oh, that's that would make sense that he's the only one who can take the chemicals. Yeah. If anything, they might have mailed him out a bit. <laughs> Gee, that's something I'm glad that's not come back. No more Jared Leto Joker. <laughs> For now. Forever. <laughs> but yeah, no, I basically disagree with everything you say. I thought it, like together well thought it was a very fun action film i did actually that beeping think... yes and i don't care the <laughs> cast had good chemistry damn it I, that's I, I, the hill i literally die on alex no I, I i think there were, i think there were nice moments between pairs of characters i just think that as a whole for me the team didn't gel but there were nice there were nice moments between um particularly um, Bloodsport and Ratcatcher 2. The little flashbacks to um, Ratcatcher with her dad were nice. And that yeah. gave her... And she was one of the stronger characters, to be fair, Ratcatcher 2. Yeah, I'd um, say she was probably my favourite character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, there was something about... There was, there was a nice... Almost unspoken respect and admiration between Harley and Flag that I thought was played quite well. Um, yeah, I think they did a good job of making it seem like these are two people, like they've done this kind of thing a lot. Yeah, and it, it, it almost filled in the gap between Suicide Squad and The Suicide Squad with all those adventures I've read in comic book form over the last sort of six, seven years. So that was a nice touch. It was, so it was that there was also the, um, there was also a little bit of um, understanding with Polka Dot Man and understanding the the fact that his was an illness rather than a, you know, a need to be evil and that weird thing about seeing his mother everywhere. That yeah, was... I, I will say that's probably the one bit that didn't really work that well for me is the whole seeing his mother thing. Yeah. Like, I thought it was a good joke the first couple of times with him like, just casually mentioning, I don't like killing people, but yeah. then I just picture there my mother and it's easy. And yeah. then the bit where, like, they've accidentally killed all the rebels and they're trying to deny it and he just yells out, I pictured they were my mother and I killed them all. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, that gave... Because, let, let's be honest, Polka Dot Man is one of those people that gets mentioned in a list of DC villains 
you know, in in those kinds of stories where the le- uh, the Justice League are recounting past adventures and they'll reel off a list of villains they've beaten and one of them will say, oh, I'm Polka Dot Man. And then another one will go, seriously? You know, he's right. He's just one level above Condiment King, really, isn't he? Yeah, well, I think that's like literally the whole reason why James Gunn picked him is because he's the kind of character topping all these like lamest villains in the DC yeah. universe kind of lists. And yet, he's, you know, typically of James Gunn, he's taken that character and sort of made it work. Yeah, it's... Again, I think that's kind of something sort of with the original Suicide Squad comics as well, is because you've got a bunch of characters where they've not really had that much sort of work done in the past. Like, their motivations have just been is a villain, likes money, dislikes superheroes. There's kind of a lot more room to grow in and kind of add your own characterization. Yeah. Right. Our, our transcription has run out. Oh, no. This is a sad poignant moment in the podcast. So um, I'm going to send it to you. I don't know how it's going to send that, whether it's sending it by email or through some kind of chat system or what, but maybe it'll just beam directly into your head and you'll start talking drivel. Yes, I'll just wake up one day having always known the transcription to this podcast. Yeah. And that knowledge will drive me irreversibly insane. Although if we go from the basis that you're already insane... Could it be a cure? Maybe. It's important scientific work we're doing on the podcast today. It is, yeah. It's it's worthy of inclusion on the Jotunheim project. I like the fact that Star of the Conqueror is in this film as well. Yeah. I mean, I am and I aren't. Because uh, there were parts, there were parts of this where I felt James Gunn was trying to make Guardians of the Galaxy three in the DC universe, and I think the inclusion of Starro, to a degree, too closely measured the big squid creature they fight in uh, Gotga two. Hmm. I mean, I guess that kind of holds true for a lot of comic things is there's just yeah. a lot of things that are big monsters. Yeah. And to be honest, there's only like so many final fights you can have. That's true. That's true. Like, I feel like it's big monster, glowy thing in the sky, like army of drones that we've got to fight through to get to the main dude. Yeah. And but in this case, the army of drones it. to get through were also the same as the main dude. Indeed, and I do, I just I really like that thing of like them having the starfish over the face with like the yeah. big eye in the middle. Yeah. Like I just think that's a really cool looking thing. And the find the, the the climactic part of the battle, 
um, with Harley and, and everything. And again, showing off that sort of physical aspect of Harley um, and the acrobatic aspect. That was amaz- an amazing sequence. I watched it all in 4DX, as is my want. So again, I was bruised to hell when I came out. It's almost like you are a member of the Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a bit. I thought it was a bit personal. Um, the staff of Cineworld putting a little nano bomb in my neck, though. I thought that was taking the realism a little bit too far. Um, but luckily, I didn't get. Unlike one unfortunate viewer who did get up to go to the toilet halfway through and never came back. That would be hard. Cause it's like, we gave you your warning. We said not to look at your phone during the film. Flick <laughs> the switch. Doot. <laughs> yeah, I also like that like, the ones to actually take Starro down were Harley and Ratcatcher. Yeah. Because I think even now there's still a big habit of like, the female members of superhero teams kind of not really doing that much. Yeah. Sort of being the sort of emotional support and heart of the team, but not the actual. Yeah. Not the ones who actually say, okay, I'm going to have my army of rats devour this starfish. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to launch myself straight into its eyeball. But Black Widow wouldn't have done that. Oh, she probably would. Or her and uh, Yelena would have done some kind of team acrobatic move to do it. Um, yeah, what they would have done is they would have run up and then done like a flip through the air and grabbed Starro's like head tentacle bit with their legs and flipped him over. Yeah, um, only for Red Guardian to jump on his head afterwards just to make sure it was dead. So I think what we've proved is that just every superhero film should end with them fighting Star of the Conqueror. Well, that was a revelation I wasn't expecting to come out of this podcast. I'll be honest. See, there we go. The more you learn... Indeed. It's as we see it's it's a public service we do with this podcast. It is. I'm I worry sometimes about the public that requires a service like this, but But I mean King Chuck's pretty great, isn't he? And yeah, I love that. Also, I love the bit. I, I, I love, after... I love the scene where Ratcatcher explains friendship to him. <laughs> that is, that is a glorious scene. Yeah, and eventually, and you wouldn't eat your friends, would you? No. No. <laughs> but yeah, it's also the, the bit I love is at the end of the the hand scene where Amanda Waller says. Yes, well then, that is your hand. And just the way he kind of reclines back and nods his head like a, yes, I am smart, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, 
as as is usual with this kind of ensemble film, um, I feel I ought to ask you which characters are actually from the annals of DC and which ones are maybe amalgams or over-egged. All right. Yeah, so it's it's an interesting case that actually a lot of the cast are like directly DC and even Suicide Squad characters. Like even to the point that a lot of Amanda Waller's kind of cronies, they are also characters from the comics. Oh, wow. So you've got, so, I think, it's like Amelia Harcourt, John Economos, and Flo Crawley, who are all like characters from various series. Okay. Um, so Weasel. Yes, Weasel is in fact a DC Comics character and a member of the Suicide Squad. And what is, is, is he, is he, uh, what is he? Well, ironically enough, in the comics, he is actually an Afghan hound. He's not. He's a, he's basically a scientist man who accidentally turned himself into like a, a were-weasel creature. So he's like, he's like, he's like the stort equivalent of um, man-bat. Yes, or the lizard, but hairier. Right. Okay. Uh, TDK? Uh, TD, so TDK is kind of um, sort of more of an amalgamation. He is based on a character called Arm Fall Off Boy, who was in the Legion of Superheroes. Right. Which is, which I, I believe they've been featured on the Supergirl TV series. So they're like, yes, least, they have. Yeah. Been. So they're like a sort of teen, young adult superhero team from the, the 31st century. Yeah. Okay. Savant? Uh, Savant, yeah. He is also from the comics. He also, I mean, like, that costume he has in the film is exactly what he wears, like, in his first appearances. Okay. Um, we know about Amanda Waller. We know about Rick Flagg. We know about Harley. We know about Ratcatcher 2. Is Ratcatcher, is, is that a thing? Ratcatcher 2 rather than Ratcatcher? So, no, actually, Ratcatcher 2, she's basically an original creation for the film, as, as far as I can tell. Oh, okay. Polka Dot Man, we know he's real. King Shark, we... Well, I say real. You know what I mean. Um, King Shark is real. Peacemaker, we know he's getting a TV show. Yeah, he is indeed a character from the comics. Peacemaker's actually kind of interesting, because he started off as a character for Charlton Comics. Which All is right. basically uh, another comics publisher that then got bought up by DC. Wasn't that where most of the Watchmen characters came from, Charlton? Indeed, yes. Charlton Comics specifically. Knowledge! Well, actually, to, to explain, what Charlton Comics created were the characters Peacemaker, Blue Beetle, The Question, Captain Atom and Nightshade, who were originally going to be the main characters of Watchmen, before DC said, actually, no, Alan Moore just changed them to, like, original characters. So Peacemaker became the comedian. Right. And yeah, Bloodsport, I would say, is, again, I think he's in the comics, but isn't really like his, his film version. 
because again his film version is Idris Elba doing an Idris Elba yeah um okay so yeah I think Col- adaptation actually quite faithful and Corto Maltese is of course the place that Vicky Vale had photographed that impressed Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne so much back in 1989. Oh, well, I, I actually did not know that. Yes, if you watch, if you watch the the scene where they meet at the party at Wayne Manor, um, he saw her work on Corto Maltese. Oh my God! It is all connected. Yeah, you see. Yeah. Oh, also, obviously, even Jotunheim, that is actually a thing from the comics as well. Right. Except in that, it's basically, it's a base where there's like um, sort of a Middle Eastern group of superheroes. Because obviously, Suicide Squad started off in the late 80s, so it's very sort of Cold War based. And yeah. it's the idea of like, basically the US government saying, no superhumans, they're kind of our resource. We can't let other countries have them. Right. Because then they might use them to destroy freedom. Whereas that's ours to control. Exactly. Um, so the the other thing about Corto Maltese is it's also in the um, Arrowverse. And it's, oh. it's, it's, it's where um, I think the pirate queen Sophia lives. And is visited several times by Alice and Batgirl. Uh, uh, Sorry, not Batgirl, Batwoman. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Batwoman. In the comics, it started off in in like the uh, the Dark Knight Returns. As just sort of an offhand mention. There you go, you see. Corto Maltese, that's where it's at. Yeah. I think the film also mentions Kurak in this. Kurak? Yeah, which is DC's, like, we don't want to get in too much hot water. We need a Middle Eastern country. (laughs) This is a Middle Eastern country we need to invade now and then. (laughs) They've got a a couple of those, haven't they? um, There were a couple couple of things in, in the Batman TV series where they had countries that sounded like they were part of the USSR without actually being part of the USSR, like Muscovia or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure at one point DC also had a place called Bad Newsier. <laughs> actually, might even be. I'm just going to double check something. And some scintillating paused option. Uh, no, it's not. Jurak is not the place where Black Adam is from. That's Kandak. Ah. Uh. I mean, I struggle enough to remember like actual real place names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. So. So yeah, so. I think have we got to the point where we should rank this on our list? Yes. So but I'm going to dispute your earlier statement that it goes at number four. 
just on the basis that it's not a straight adaptation of a comic book story. I would say, though, it does directly adapt a lot more like elements directly from the comics than a lot of the other ones do. Okay. Also, I like it more than Black Widow. Is that what currently is at number four? That is what's currently at number four. Uh, you see, I liked Black Widow more. See, I've already watched Black Widow again. And, and I've already watched... watched Suicide Squad again. <laughs> and I probably will watch it again, but I'm just not falling over myself to. I'll probably watch it with the missus, because if I say to her, it's gory from the start, she'll want to watch it. And it is that quite is, gory it, from it the is start. Very gory. <laughs> I think you get I think you get about thirty seconds in before something gets killed, aren't you? Is it even thirty sec actually yeah, I think it's maybe about thirty seconds. Yeah. Because it, it's the bit where Savant just like He's in the prison yard yeah, bouncing a ball. ball. <laughs> <laughs> and that that was that was nicely done when when Savant's uh, corpse is just floated along. <laughs> yeah, and then an identical bird just comes and like pecks out his neck. It was genuinely cheers in the cinema when that, when that happened. <laughs> it was it, and uh, you know it. The, the film itself is peppered with the the, the almost ubiquitous James Gunn-style humour. I mean, it's clear that he has a, a knowledge and love for this, just as he does for Guardians of the Galaxy and, and the other Marvel stuff that he's been involved with. Um, I, I, I just think the Guardians movies hang together a little bit more coherently than this one does. Disagree. Also, speaking of your Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One is like number sixteen on our list. Is it? I, I feel like we've ranked that far too low. Well, I think it must have been really early, and we've done some really good stuff. So that's the problem with doing something like this, where because we'll have we'll have done we'll have done Guardians of the Galaxy probably. Knowing full well that Guardians of the... How long have we been doing this now? I don't... I mean, I guess this is... If we... Like, have a little scroll through the list. Yeah, including, like, the ones we did pre... The actual Behold podcast. This yeah. is, like, the 41st thing that we're putting on the list. Right. And... I think there's a couple of things to bear in mind, right? So, we did Howard the Duck, right? Howard the Duck is one of those films where, even when you look through it with the filter of 30 years, it's never going to get better. Right? It stank at the time, it stinks now. Everything is just going to get worse upon rewatch. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, something like um, the first Superman movie, for example, which I don't think we've done, but the Chris Reeve movie, right? It's a long time since I've watched it, but as I recall, 
it's for its time pretty much a perfect superhero movie it covers the origin story it rustles it it rushes through his sort of childhood and adolescent years and then cuts to the chase with Lex Luthor there's some preposterous superhero moments in it which you know have any good physics teacher spinning in their grave but other than that, it's a pretty much perfect... And I think it will probably hold up better now than some of the CGI gubbins that we get. Yeah? And I think, yeah. you know... You think Guardians of the Galaxy is, what, seven years old now? Seven years? Where's that time gone, Andrew? We were young men then. I mean, were we? Well, younger. We were younger, certainly. Yeah, we were not as old and tired as we are now. That's it. Not as jaded. But then by the time we come to review it for this, we've already had Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And that's the other thing as well. You know, there's... There's the part that films have got... Have we done... We've done Batman Returns, haven't we? Where's that in relation to Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, Batman Returns, that's number 28. Right, so it is... That film was actually quite a big mess. It was. But I think it was quite a big mess, but it also has a lot of um, nostalgia, nostalgia and... Um, it's it kind of stands out. Back in eighty nine and ninety two, when Batman and Batman Returns came out, we hadn't had much in the way of superhero movies. Comic book movies were few and far between. Prior to eighty nine's Batman, we'd probably had seventy eight Superman, Superman two, Superman three, and I think. Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, had almost killed any hope of any more Superman movies. Um, and it was al- it was almost just by dint of the fact that it was the 50th anniversary of Batman that we got a Batman movie, I think. It was almost like it was the law. They had to make a Batman movie that year. Yeah, it might have been like a rights thing or something, wasn't it? Yeah. Whereas... Um, by the time we get to Guardians of the Galaxy, we're, what, ten movies deep into the MCU? There's a superhero movie that... We've actually got to the stage where, in order to fill the gap between superhero movies, their studios are releasing another superhero movie. You've got them coming from DC, you've got them coming from um, Independence, you've got them coming from um, Marvel. You've got TV shows everywhere that are comic book related. It's possible that we reviewed that with the jaded eye of people who were overdosing on comic book live action. That's also true. That's maybe now looking at it through the new glasses of... It's been like two years with basically nothing. Well, I, 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 think, we, I think we mentioned this on the last, uh, last recording. You know, 
we haven't been to see a film since the New Mutants. Yeah, and or that was possibly, maybe... or possibly Dark Phoenix. Yeah, that was also maybe part of what helped get Black Widow over the line. Yeah. <laughs> now, with Suicide Squad, though, what I'm thinking is, I know I've joked before about this being like my tyrannical rule of a podcast. Yes. But, but don't com- forget the nanobomb. That's true. Unfortunately, the mistake you've made there is assuming that I value my own life. Right. Okay, let me put this in context. There are only two of us who do this podcast. Right? If, as a result of your decision now, I set that nanobomb off, there'll only be me left. Which means I can go through the list and reorder it. Well, it's funny you should making say that. that your, making that your legacy. Because the, the compromise I was thinking about is that, because I very much want to put this in as our new number four. Right. And what I've done to say is that if I do that beep, and then beep, give you what beep, is essentially beep, beep, like... Beep. A free beep, pass card. Beep, 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 where you can say, beep, like, beep, beep, basically, beep, for, for one beep, film or TV beep, show, beep, no matter what beep, it is, you can say, beep, this one is beep, going beep, in at this, beep, 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 regardless of what I say. Right, that makes Black Widow our new number one. I mean, for an upcoming episode, I mean. <laughs> not retroactively. <laughs> not retroactively, Mick, I'm not <laughs> Because obviously, if I give it to you retroactively, then next week you just say, I'm playing the dumb. card, Suicide Squad goes in as our new number 42. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. Oh, oh. What's our next recording is going to be The Invincible, isn't it? Yeah, well, I'm not saying you have to use it on... It's basically like a card you can tuck away. All right, it's got no expiry some, date. Yeah, no, it's for, like, for one future point... If we get to a situation like this, where you feel very strongly that a film or TV show deserves to be at one spot on the list, I want to put it somewhere else. We can flip the table and basically go with what you say. Okay. Which which I think is maybe the fairest way of doing it. I'd still rather set off a nanobomb. (laughs) I mean, that does mean you have to start doing the show notes as well, though. Well, that's true. Or I could just do what I do now and wing it. Man, that's also true. <laughs> oh, oh. But then you do have to edit the show. Yeah, but if there's only me on it, that should be fairly easy. <laughs> you say that. You've not seen the cutting room floor of stuff from Mick that I have to leave out. <laughs> The long, cold nights of... I think I've just about got rid of that fan noise in the background. (laughs) You could just ask me to switch it off, you know. I mean, where's the fun in that? And then just watch me melt slowly during the podcast. Oh, there's the fun in that. (laughs) 
But this podcast is definitely going to end in our mutually assured destruction, isn't it? That's what you'd see. That was a visual gag that the listeners will go, what the? So. Yeah, so there's just a loud explosion and then the sound of Mick like melting onto a keyboard. <laughs> ah, damn. So, so that's it, is it? Our new number four. It is our new number four because much like Corto Maltese, this is not a democracy. The you see, you, Suicide the, Squad. What, you see, you're supposed to be looking at Natasha. She did the pose and everything. That was supposed to distract you. But no, you went off and watched Suicide Squad. Sorry, the Suicide Squad. Yes, the the is very important in this case. The the. That's a name that hasn't been important since the 80s. Look it up, children. Well, with that... And by children, I mean anybody under 40. I assume they're one of you old band bands. <laughs> With their brass trumpets. <laughs> That's Mick Ronson. Mark Ronson, rather. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot the trumpets basically came back. Yeah. How, how can you tell that Mark Ronson remixed this track? He's added trumpets. Yeah, God, that's... I don't think we mentioned cushy gigs earlier. That's got to be one. It's just been <laughs> press the trumpet button. <laughs> Imagine if Amanda Waller just got confused and pressed the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Suicide Squad, you're a jazz band now. Or maybe that's just the sound that plays now when the bomb goes off. <laughs> maybe a bit of a sad trombone, like. Wah, wah, wah. Oh, oh. Here's a plot for a, new, a future suicide. So, in in the in the in the next, what did you call it? A requel. Yes, that's right, a requel. Because it sounds so much better than a sea boot. Um, in the next requel, um, any Suicide Squad, or a Suicide Squad, um, Amanda Waller is just stringing them along, and when she actually presses the button, a stick just pops out of the neck that says, bang. Oh, like the Joker's <laughs> fate gun. <laughs> like that <laughs> oh that's what they use for training missions we get to see the suicide squad equivalent of training day <laughs> that's what they... oh my god the junior suicide squad <laughs> suicide squad back in training <laughs> turn it into a police academy for <laughs> Well, now that we've once again hit Hollywood gold, I, I guess that's probably Absolutely. the end of the show. Just imagine, if we, if we release that within six weeks of our Weasel standalone movie. 
God, we'll be raking it in. Absolutely. Anyway, that's about it from us. So if you would like to listen to more, you can find all our episodes on the feed or just wherever you get your podcasts. And if you do subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. Uh, if you do want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. And if you are a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on your podcast app of choice or just recommended us to a friend. It's the best way for us to grow as a show and to reach new listeners. So that's everything. Until next time, I've been Andrew. And I've been Nick. So long and thanks for listening. And... Hello, Behold listeners. It's Mick here. Just some sad news about our co-host, Milton, who sadly passed away before the recording of this episode of Behold could be completed. This one's for you, Milton. Peace, brother. You're missed. Andrew! Who was Milton again?